You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Hey, uh, well, welcome here. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you yet. I am one of the leaders here at Rail City Campus. Usually you find me hiding out back in the tech area or doing something behind the scenes and solving problems and those things. But today I'm up here, uh, which is uh, exciting. Uh, good, to, good to see you. Cam is away uh, doing some ministry work uh, this week, um, but he will be back next week in that. And so uh, if you've been tracking with us these last three months or so, we've been in a series on the book of Ephesians. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage in chapter four. Um, And if you've been tracking with us, you'll know that the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a city that uh, was in the Roman world back in uh, the first century, and today it's in the, the modern country of Turkey. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church uh, in Ephesus from prison. He's in Rome in prison uh, there, and he's writing to the Ephesians to encourage them in their faith. And so Ephesus is a town and a city that has many competing philosophies and worldviews and ideas about how the world works or what it means to live uh, in the world. And so he spends the first uh, three chapters of Ephesians basically telling, okay, what is your... uh, what is your new identity in Christ? And we've been going through that the last few months and learning about what is our identity in Christ? What are, what are those things um, that Christ uh, being transformed by him changes in our world? And so it kind of comes to uh, a, the, the crux in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8 to 10, and it says, uh, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so Paul spends three chapters basically saying, it's by grace you have been saved. You've been saved by Jesus through your faith because Jesus came. He lived and he died on the cross. He rose again for your sins. And so we have a new identity and a new calling that is brought to us by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so Paul spends the first three chapters of that explaining what that is. And then we get to chapter 4, and it transitions. And in chapter 4, it goes from, okay, this is, this is what your new identity looks like, to now, how the heck do you live that out? And so uh, he talks a lot about, um, we don't want to, we want to be in the world, but not of it. We want to, like, be in our culture. We want to engage with our culture. We want to be a part of it, but we're not living like those people do anymore. Because of the work of Jesus, because your lives have been transformed by Jesus, you're now living... Um, you're now, you're now your living doesn't look like what the rest of the world looks like. And so a few weeks ago, Cam talked about how um, we're in the city of Port Moody. A lot of you identify as Port Moodyans. Um, but we don't want to, we want to be in the city of Port Moody, but we don't want to live like the Port Moodyans. <laughs> and uh, so if you're with us then um, there. And so Paul kind of continues on, and then we get to the, these very, very practical sections where Paul just shoots straight with the Ephesians and says, okay, don't do this, but do this instead. And don't do this and do this. And so a couple of weeks ago, Cam talked about uh, the um, telling the truth and speaking truth to power. And last week, if you were here, David preached an amazing message on what it means to have um, anger and proper anger in our society and how does it engage with our emotion of anger. 
Um, that was really, really great. And so today we get to talk about the fun topic of money, super not controversial at all. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to talk about stealing. So I'd invite you today to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles, uh, if you have it with you. And then uh, we're going to read together. I'm going to invite you to uh, stand as we read this. Uh, we stand out of a respect for God's word and what um, he has done. And these, these are going to be the most important words you hear today. So we're going to start in verse 17 uh, in, in Ephesians 4. It says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned in Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And we're going to skip down to verse 28, which is our text for today. It says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. God, would you teach us what this means today? Would you uh, reveal your truth to us about the, the beauty of working and generosity, uh, Lord, and how you desire to come and transform our day-to-day our -day lives? Uh, may the words that I say to you be pleasing to you, and may um, you speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can have a seat. So here's where we're going today. It's uh, real, real, real hard to follow. Uh, this is a really complicated text. So here's where we're going. First, we're going to talk about don't steal. Second, we're going to talk about working hard. And third, we're going to talk about being generous. And so uh, it's really, really a great text. Um, beautiful. We're going to don't steal, work hard, and be generous. So starting with don't steal. And I have a little bit of a, a story to tell you. Uh, one day when I was really, really young, like maybe four or five, uh, my mom decided it would be a great idea to take me grocery shopping. And uh, probably because there was no other person to watch me when I was at home, but uh, she took me along and I loved going to push the cart. I was practicing my driving skills to uh, be the great teenage driver I was. <laughs> and uh, so we're going through this uh, grocery store and um, we came to an aisle that was full of bulk candy. And just at the perfect timing when we got to this aisle, my mom realized that she had forgotten to grab something in the last aisle. So she said, okay, Paul, wait here with the cart. I'm gonna go run uh, to the last aisle and uh, grab the thing that we need and then I'll come right back. So all of a sudden there's a five-year-old boy left alone in an aisle with a cart and a bunch of bulk candy filling the entire aisle. And so you might be able to guess what happens next is, like any five-year-old would do, I saw a candy, probably a Coke bottle, those are my favorite, and I reached in and grabbed the candy. And just as I was eating that candy and um, enjoying the delicious taste of sugar and Coke flavor, that artificial flavors, you know, it's so good, um, my mom walks back around the corner grabbing the thing that she need and so saw me with my probably my hand deep in the the thing and and realized that I had taken some of the candy and my mom being the great mom that she is didn't just say hey you can't you can't do that Paul like that's that's not allowed you got to pay for that all that 
she marched me right up to the customer service desk and basically made me tell the person at the customer service desk what I had done. <laughs> and so maybe just kind of cluing in, I don't know what happened. Uh, eventually I probably told them, okay, I, I ate one of those like candies, it was probably a five or 10 cent candy. My mom gave me a quarter to pay for that candy. Um, and then we um, <laughs> continued on. But that wasn't it. <laughs> when we got back home, I had to tell my dad what I had done. And, and it, I, I spent the entire afternoon in my room trying to build up the courage to tell my dad what I had done. And so a five-year-old stealing a five-cent candy is a, is a very, um, doesn't have a good feeling. And there was something in that moment when I was doing that, like I even knew as I was grabbing that, oh, probably shouldn't be doing this. I didn't have, my mom didn't have to teach me that stealing is a bad thing. It's kind of something we learned um, on there. And so it's a silly story, but it, it kind of teaches um, what, what's wrong about stealing, right? We, we have this like sense of that taking something that's not yours is not good. And I had that naturally. I didn't have to be told, told what to do. And that's kind of the way that God has designed the world. And so the Bible actually has a lot to say about stealing. Stealing is the eighth um, commandment in the Ten Commandments. It says, do not steal. And there's even a story in the book of Acts where Ananias and Sapphira stole from the church and God decided to strike them dead. Hopefully none of you are doing that today. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but so what, why, why is Paul writing to the Ephesians telling them to not steal um, in that verse? And so um, many scholars have kind of like thought about this, done some work on it, and they believe that some of the, the Ephesian um, believers may have lost their jobs because of their association with Christ and weren't able to afford the things of life. And so they had to rely on something like stealing to make ends meet. Or there was a possibility that maybe some of the uh, Ephesian believers were store owners and they were cheating out their customers of, um, out of money and those type of things, charging more than they shouldn't be. Reality is they're not really for sure. They just guess. They're just guessing about what was going on. But at the heart of it is that stealing violates the other person. And it's basically saying that your needs and your, um, your material belongings uh, are more important to me than they are to you. And so I'm going to take that. And that grieves the heart of God. When we steal, we're basically saying, sorry, Lord, you can't be trusted to help me. And I have to take it into my own hands. And at the root of it, it's not loving our neighbor. In Romans chapter 13, verse 9, it says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, and you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. And what other command there may be are summed up in the one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what's great about Jesus. Jesus sums up all those like, different commands, and he says at the root of it all, we're not loving each other. We're not loving other people like you would love yourself. And so that's what's so wrong about stealing, right? Is the root problem of stealing is that you're not loving your neighbor. And so maybe, maybe it, like, it seems like an easy command to fulfill. I'm, I'm fairly certain that no one walked into RBC yesterday and tried to hold up the bank and take all the money from there. <laughs> um, and so like, how, do, how does that work out in, in today's culture? Maybe, maybe you're an employee uh, working at a job, um, doing something um, with that. Are you, are you the person that's showing up late and leaving early every day? 
Are you the person that only uh, does the bare minimum amount of work just to be seen um, by your boss, that you're just doing a good enough job? Or do you only work when maybe your boss comes around to see that you're working and then the rest of the time you're, you're doing something else? Maybe you're the person that uh, cheats on your taxes, maybe claiming more income than you've been given or uh, claiming more benefits than you're entitled to. Those type of things. Some of you in here are, are business owners. How, how are you running your business? Are you skirting the rules, trying to save every penny you can and maximize every cent and, and take out of every person? Is your only goal just to make the max amount of money or shareholder value that you can get? Are you scamming your customers, maybe over-promising about a service and un under-delivering that? A, f a few weeks ago, I uh, went on a little vacation. Uh, it was nice to get away after a couple of years of being stuck at home. And uh, I had to rent a car. And so my uh, wife and I went to the, uh, car, uh, the car rental place. We were standing in line to pick up the car. I had made a reservation online beforehand. They had, I had the exact amount that I was supposed to pay. They said, come at this time, they'll be have a car ready for you. So we got there, got up to finally the front of the counter of the line, showed my reservation, and they said, we're out of cars right now. Uh, we don't have a car for you. It's been a really busy day and that. So I had to wait an hour until there was a car that finally came back that they were able to give me uh, for that. So then go back up to the counter. I get ready to go, um, show them the thing, all that. And then they go, okay, so there's a $15 a day mandatory fee for this uh, insurance thing, and I said, I have my own insurance already, I don't need this, and they said, well, it's mandatory, this is our company policy, all this stuff that wasn't included online. And then they tried to, um, she said, uh, okay, if you, if you pay for a full tank of gas up front, you can bring the car back on empty, and then you don't have to worry about getting gas to filling it up, and we charge a cheaper rate than the local gas stations do, and all that. So I finally, uh, I said, okay, whatever, I'm just ready to get out of there at this point, I've been there for so long. So hit sign the thing, did all that or whatever. We went and had our vacation, it was a great time. We came back to drop the car rental off and I got the, the invoice back and they had basically taken the fee that they said for that full tank of gas and applied that as an administrative fee and then they still charged me for all the gas that they then filled up. So I basically paid for two tanks of gas <laughs> for that. So it was a, that's where I kind of felt like I had been stolen from, in a sense, right? I had ended up paying basically double what I was expecting to pay before I had left. And so I think like at the root of it, I kind of felt um, almost violated and almost like taken advantage of, right? Ripped off. And it wasn't a great feeling. I, I probably left a, a more strongly worded review than I should have on their website. <laughs> But it, it wasn't a great feeling, right? And so maybe that's a, an example of the modern day, maybe how this, this works out. And at the end of the day, it, it kind of grieves the heart of God and says that I'm more important than my neighbor, that I can't trust God to provide for my needs. And this isn't the way of Christ. The idols of greed get in the way of us loving God and loving our neighbor, of greed and materialism and saying that I'm more important than my neighbor or I'm more important than their belongings or their dignity. And so that's kind of stealing. But Paul doesn't just say, okay, stop stealing. He moves on to say, okay, instead of, don't, instead of stealing, don't steal. The, the fix to that is actually to work hard. And so that's where we kind of get to number two. 
And so the text says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. So I was thinking, a lot of people think kind of the dream life is the kind of absence of responsibility. You don't have a job. You have so much financial uh, independence that you could hire people to do all the work for you. You could hire a nanny to take care of your kids or someone to come mow your lawn or someone to, um, to do all your needs, to keep your house clean and do that. Well, you sit on the beach and sip cocktails or go play golf or drive the nice car, um, those type of things. Those things are great, but kind of the dream life for a long time has been this idea that, okay, I don't have to do any work and I can just have pure pleasure, pure that. But that's not how God has designed us. God has designed us to do work, right? From the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, God tells Adam and Eve to do work. He says, take care of the garden, multiply, uh, rule over the land, tend to the animals, and all those things. And it's connected to the way that we live as Christians. Work is a very important part of our lives. And most of us are working five, six days a week at our day job or doing something, and that's a huge part of our, part of our lives, so how does God say that we should work? And so most of us think that Paul was a, a missionary traveling to a bunch of different uh, cities and towns preaching about Jesus, and absolutely, that's what he did, that's what he's known for, and that's what we see in scripture as happened. But did you know that Paul also had a day job? Paul didn't want to have to rely on all these churches to pay all his expenses for going around. So he actually made tents for a living. He crafted tents for people to sleep in. Um, that in 1 Corinthians, or Acts chapter 18, um, it says that Paul actually worked with Priscilla and Aquila when he was in Corinth uh, making tents. And so he wanted to basically not have to rely on these other churches to pay for him um, to do that. So this was a way for him to earn some income and all that. So he worked even outside of his ministry. And, and here's the thing. All, God work is, all good work is God's work. When we work good, when we work hard, when we work with integrity and honesty, that's doing God's work. And that speaks to our world. It speaks to um, what we're doing. And it's not just doing the work. It's how we do the work that actually matters to God. Working is far more than just a means to make money. And making money definitely is a part of work. If I didn't make money from my job, I probably wouldn't be doing it. But it's a way in which we glorify God. Paul doesn't say that we should just do work. He says that we should do honest work. And there's a difference there. We don't just work for work's sake. We work honestly, recognizing that this is one of the ways we worship God. And we represent God to our culture around us. So I think when we work, we should seek to be the best at what we do. Right? We, we work hard to do the best we can, and we give God all the glory along the way. On our team at the church, we talk a lot about making it better. That's one of our kind of leadership values that we hold on as our team on staff. And what we, we don't want to do is we don't want to settle for mediocrity in anything that we do. We're not perfectionists, but we try to always making stuff better, looking for how can we get better at this? How can we um, make our worship better? How can we make um, the, our community groups better? What, what are some of the ways that aren't working right now that we can fix and improve and do? Because we want to represent Jesus the best we can to our world. We don't want to just put on a, a mediocre, half-done thing that someone comes and sees that, oh, they don't really care about their own worship or their own service or that how am I supposed to care about a God who loves me. And so making it better is a, a way, that, um, way that we can work that honors God. 
Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So whatever you do, whatever uh, work, whatever job you have, do it as unto the Lord, giving him all the glory. And it's one of the ways we worship God. Ministry isn't something that just happens on Sunday morning or it's not done by Nathan or Cam or I or any of the staff at the church during the week. Those other six days are just as much ministry and worship to God as today is being here. We love our world. We care for those that God has placed in our lives. We work hard. And your identity as a Christian is lived out in the way you work. And the way you work represents Christ to our world. There's nothing more holy or more set apart about today, us being worshiping together, as tomorrow when you're in your work, in your job, or in your school, or at home. And there's no more, nothing more set apart or holy and working at a church or being on staff or doing vocational ministry as there is uh, doing some sort of other marketplace job. Um, Gordon T. Smith, who's a professor at Regent College and more recently Ambrose University in Calgary, he wrote a great book on uh, work called Courage and Calling and, and kind of finding what God's gifted you to do. And he says this in that book. It says, religious work or church-related activities, while very important, do not inherently have any more weight or any more significance than the work of the gardener, the business person, the public school teacher, or the pharmacist. And here's the thing, the world needs more doctors. We need more accountants. We need more teachers. We need more pilots, janitors, electricians, carpenters, plumbers, dentists, pharmacists, cashiers. The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And more than just we need more of those people, we need people that are going to represent Christ to our world in those jobs that are going to do their due diligence to work as hard as they can to represent and honor God with our work to encourage the people and fellow employees or customers or those people around us to um, show them the love of God. And people start to see a difference in our lives when you do that. That when, when you're working for more than just a paycheck or you're working for just the end of the day, people start to take notice and they start to see that, wow, there's something different. You actually care. You care about me. You care about your job. You care about your work. And it starts to show Jesus to our world. We need people who are going to treat people with respect, who will show the love of Jesus to everything you come in contact with. And so part of my story is when I graduated high school, I uh, thought I'm going to live the dream life. I wanted to become a, a chartered accountant at the time. I'm a numbers guy. I love working with numbers and math and business stuff. And so I went to business school for a year and a half. And it was actually great. I loved it. I loved um, learning um, kind of business stuff, and I still love that part about my job. Some of my job at the church has some, some to do with this um, now. But as I started getting more and more into it, I felt that something was really, really missing in my, my studies and what I was learning at that time. And so when in those studies, it was all about, okay, how do we make the most money possible? Okay, we need more money here. Okay, the demand goes up, then we can charge more, and we can do different things and earn more stuff and get maximum shareholder value and and it all became just about money, 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 money. And I was just sensing, I'm like, there's got to be more to this life than just making money. And at that time, I was starting to get involved in my church at the time. I was being a youth leader. I was just excited and passionate about the Lord. 
And so I'm like, I want to do something with my life that has more significance than just making money. And that's kind of where I thought, okay, I want, you know what, I want to work in a church. And I want to serve Jesus and, and love him and show Jesus to the world um, through that. I wanted my work to have more eternal significance and meaning than just trying to make more money. And I think that's the kind of the perspective we need to have is, okay, how can I, it's, it's not just about making money. It's not just about earning um, earnings and all those things. It's about how do I love people? How do I show Jesus to our world in, in everything we do? In First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. The goal of work isn't just to make money, to support yourself, but part of work is to display God's love around you. And Paul wants, Paul does say, okay, let's take care of our needs. Let's make a living for yourself. So let's not have to rely on each other um, for, your, for you to survive. And uh, John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland, talks about this in his book, Garden City. Fantastic book on this. You should go read it if you're curious about this stuff. Um, He says, on one level, there's no difference between a barista who's a follower of Jesus and one who's not. They both make the exact same thing, a really, really good cup of coffee. And we love our coffee from Kathy here. (laughs) But on another level, a barista who's a follower of Jesus should go about it with a love and a humility and a joy that is infectious and makes the people around them question why. So while you're still getting coffee, while you're still getting the same product at the end of the day, the way you do that actually makes a difference to our world. And people start to wonder why. Another quote from Gordon T. Smith in that same book, um, that's good. It says, it's critical that we see our work, whatever forms it takes, as something that we do for God and not for others. And though we may be paid for our work in payment that is, not, that is necessary for us to meet our financial needs, our service does not need to be calculated. I may get paid to teach in the public school, but why should I not see myself as being there in the name of Christ to serve the children in my classroom and to serve with generosity with my colleagues. That my work isn't just about my money, but it's actually about something greater and something bigger than just um, earning a living. So I want you to pause and imagine with me. Imagine a world. We're going to imagine a world that isn't marked by corporate greed or corruption or materialism. But imagine a world where businesses and schools and community services operated out of a love for God and a love for neighbor. I think that would be a pretty transformative place. That people would start to see um, everything connected to, okay, I'm I'm doing this out of a bigger desire than just making money, but I'm doing this out of a desire to love people and love each other with it. So maybe you're, you're a student here today trying to figure out what God wants to do with your life. May I encourage you to find the ways that God has gifted you and use that to glorify him. Do it not just out of a way to make a living, but do it out of a way to worship God, love others, and serve our world. You may be in a job that you absolutely hate right now, and I get it, it's hard. John Mark Comer has a great line about this. He says, often we expect to find God when we go to him at church or in prayer or on a retreat, and he's there for sure. He's God. He's everywhere. But he's also where we least expect him, at the office, in the meeting that's spiraling out of control, in biology class, in the kitchen, when you're paying off your mountain of debt for that vacation to Hawaii, he's there too. But for most of us, the last place we expect to find God is at the job we hate. But what if that's 
but one of the first places we should look. I bet you he's there, doing what he always does, saving us. God wants to meet you in your work today. Even if you're in a job that sucks right now, I get it, I've been there. God wants to meet you there and there in that workplace, and he wants to use you. And I think that's beautiful. But Paul doesn't just leave it at, okay, don't steal and work hard. He also goes one step further. And he says to be generous. Be generous with those who are in need. And there's something that happens when we become generous with our finances and our time and our talents. First, it helps our world. There's tons of causes and needy people in our world that need our help, that need support, that need assistance. And as the church, we should be at the front lines of those places, ready to serve and ready to help out and ready to be a part of those things. But second and more deeply, I think generosity rids us of our idols of our own heart. When our hearts are gripped by greed and materialism, generosity comes in and says, okay, God, I trust you enough to take care of my finances. I trust you enough that you're going to provide for my needs so much so that I'm going to give some of what I've earned to help somebody else. And so I think that actually becomes the antidote to stealing. Paul doesn't just say, okay, stop stealing, and then we're good. He says, don't steal, work hard, and be generous. And that generosity is really, really what sets us free from those idols of our heart. And when we live live lives that are transformed by Christ and indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to say that, God, I trust you to provide for what I need. Not to get anything in return, but simply so I love you so much that I need to give this to you and to this other person, these others that need. Uh, one story in the book of, in the Bible that I think displays this so, so well is the story of Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you may have heard the song before. It goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Anyone remember that? Okay, if you were a 90s kid in Sunday school, you probably learned that. Um, but Zacchaeus was a, a wealthy tax collector in the day. He was kind of like the CRA of the Roman world, um, ready to take your money and to uh, do that. And, and it was really, really common in that day for those people to charge like exorbitant rates and take way more than they were supposed to take. But Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus that transforms his life. And the Bible doesn't even say what Jesus said to Zacchaeus or what the nature of that takes place. All it said is that Jesus went and stayed with Zacchaeus. But the outcome of that um, encounter and that was a transformed life for Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus doesn't just go, okay, you know what? I took um, advantage of some people. I'm going to give them back what they're, what they're due. He says, I'm going to actually give them four times more than I owe them. And I think that's the beautiful story of the power of generosity and of what a life transformed by Jesus actually does to us. It causes us not to just say, okay, yeah, I took something from you. I'm going to give it back. But to actually say, you know what, I'm going to bless you and I want to help you and I'm going to um, set you up to do well, um, better. And here's the thing. It's hard to be generous financially when you can't support yourself. And this is why Paul is saying that the thief needs to stop stealing and work hard to make a living for themselves so that they can be generous. The goal is to be self-supporting and supportive of those in need. So I just want to take a minute and talk about some of the ways that you've been generous as a church. And I'm kind of a numbers guy, so I wanted to give you kind of some numbers and a little bit of a, like almost a financial update of what we've been doing uh, here at the church. So when we launched Rail City uh, last year, we set out to raise $200,000. 
And through many of you, we were able to achieve that goal. Um, many of you gave um, sacrificially, and this enabled us to put, um, meet regularly as a campus, to rent the school, to do all, all this. And so many of you have given to that, and I want to say thank you to that. And we're able to reach the city of Port Moody. And part of that is also, um, part of that $200,000 is actually going straight to help other people. So we're partnering with an organization and churches in Mexico, in the Chiapas province, um, to basically um, come alongside them and help support them. And so we're looking at ways we can do that as a campus. We would want to like, take people on missions trips there and go serve, and you can see what God's doing around the world. Through our food pantry each week, our, give, our church is giving away food to 200 families every single week through many of your generosity. And many of these people are refugees and have come here with only the clothes on the back. Your generosity has helped those in need who have dignified shopping experience for their food. And you should go check it out if you haven't. It's really, really cool what we're doing um, through that. And so church, many of you have um, followed God's call to be generous. And you've done so extremely well. And you've modeled what to, to our world what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so to those of you who have sacrificed for the mission and been generous, we want to say thank you today. And I know it's hard to afford life right now. Inflation's up like crazy. Housing prices are through the roof. And pandemics hit a lot of people really, really, really hard. And maybe today you're here feeling anxious and fearful about how you're going to make it through. But here's the thing. When we put our trust in God with our finances and our stuff to the point that we start being generous, that starts healing that fear and anxiety. We're trusting God that he's going to provide for our needs. And God promises to bless us when we're generous. He doesn't promise to make you rich, but he does promise to provide for our needs. And when we put our trust in God, it frees us of those idols of our hearts and helps us align our way with more with Jesus. And so some of you maybe um, don't have the, kind of the heart to give right now, and I would just encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to, to consider starting to be giving and being generous. My, my parents, parents, you should model this to your kids. Um, when I was a kid, my parents um, gave me a quarter to put it in the offering every couple weeks or those type of things. And it taught me at that young age to, that giving was a part of something we did. And so wh when I did get older and I did start making some money, it wasn't even a question if, if I was actually going to give or be that. It was just built into the way I was. So we model that. We model for the next generation what to do. So here's the challenge for you today. Some of you need to quit stealing and robbing others of the dignity and the respect that they deserve. Some of you need to reevaluate your work, ask yourself if you're just working for your own self-gain and your own interests, or are you representing Christ in your workplace? Some of you need to figure out how you can be generous, maybe with your time or your talents or your finances, and giving back to God what he has given you. But there's one person who's been more generous, generous than anyone else will ever be. See, there was a debt that not even the wealth of Elon Musk, of Jeff Bezos, and uh, of Bill Gates, even if you combine their income, it couldn't pay it off. And that debt was the debt of sin that we owe to God. See, everyone here, myself first, have fallen short of God's, God's targets. We've sinned, we've fallen short of his glory. And there's a debt that's attached to that. A holy God who's perfect cannot be associated with something that isn't perfect. 
And so there's a debt there, and that debt we really owe is, is our lives. We can't be associated with God. We can't be with God. But God had so much love for us that he came and he sent his son Jesus into our world. He came and lived a perfect life without sin and loved people. And he did so so well that he was crucified on a, and died a criminal's death on a cross for your sin, for my sin. He paid that penalty. He paid that debt that we owe God for us. And then he didn't just die on the cross. He rose again on the third day. And he came and brought us back into his family. He restored relationship with, with us. And so that debt that he was paid, God became so generous with us so much that he gave his son for us to pay that debt. And so today we're going to remember that uh, through the participation of communion. And that's why we do that every week. We want to remember what God has done, what God has saved us from, and what he's brought us into. So I'm going to invite the band up and uh, the ushers to bring the communion up. And we take the bread, um, and take the bread, and that's symbolic of Jesus' body that was broken for us. And we take the juice that is symbolic of Jesus' um, blood that was shed for us. And we take it together as a simple reminder of what God has done. And so if you're a believer today, I invite you to come to the table. We're going to have the stewards up front here as the song plays. Take your time, respond to God, pray, um, and then when you're ready, come and receive. And uh, you can go back to your seat and then uh, partake in the communion together. Let me just pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much that you were generous with us. We thank you that you brought us back into your family, that you've adopted and you've redeemed us, and we've been set free from sin and the things of this world. God, help us to not live like our culture does, but live in light of what you've done for us and the ways you've called us to live. Not that we can gain anything from you, but that um, we can live and represent you to our world. So Jesus, we just pray that you would uh, help people, um, help us understand the generosity of you, that we can be generous with others, that we can work hard and, and represent you in our world. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.